We're glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our Books of the Bible Overview. We're excited and enjoying that. Um, the book of Esther was a little different, wasn't it? And uh, I've gotten so many, I've gotten so many um, um, discussions. Uh, I've gotten emails from pastors around the country that somebody said, you got to hear this, you ought to hear this. And I've gotten very positive response. I've only, I only had a couple of folks that just veered a little bit and, and uh, they were respectful. And I can understand that. It's a hard thought. Um, one pastor uh, made the comment to me that, that the only way you could be the theologically correct in your understanding of God biblically is that God could not put his approval on, on certain things. So, so that was, um, it's just been, it was an interesting study. And if it did nothing else, it helped you think, did it not, about Esther. And, and some of the, sometimes we just take things we've heard for face value. And sometimes we need to dig a little deeper because there's more to the story. Now listen carefully to me. Um, we're to study to show ourselves approved. So sometimes we dig into, you know, the only thing in Esther's life is not what happened in the Bible. It's, 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 there are things before and things after and where she came from. And, and certainly in many ways she was a victim of her, uh, of the culture in which she lived. And, and she was young and yet so was, so was Daniel. And she was young, and yet so was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you can make the right decisions when you're young. And even though she was uh, a young girl, that placed her in a little bit different of a, of a thing. So, you know, I don't want to be, I don't wanna be too uh, condemning of her, but I also want to be honest as we look at the stuff and at, at, that the Bible gives us. And so, anyhow, it was a fascinating study. I enjoyed it. And, uh, and, and hope you did. I want you to go now to the book of Job. That's where we're going to be tonight, the book of Job. I have to confess to you as you open your Bible to chapter number one that this has been a, oh boy, this is difficult. I got to be honest with you, getting Job into one uh, lesson is difficult. And so I hope that you've set aside four hours uh, so that we can accomplish that tonight. And uh, great book, My Soul, What a Book, the book of Job is. Fascinating, fascinating book, the book of Job, okay? So we're in Job, we're in Job chapter 1, that's where we're going to be, Job chapter number 1. Job chapter 1, uh, just help, just sit where you can and arrange your chairs, whatever you need to do to make yourself comfortable, okay? Job chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Job 1 verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them 
uh, all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now let me just stop and say this. I think that in order for us to grasp this book, I have to explain that to you, okay? The day when the sons of God came before God to present themselves before God, and in the very next verse, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. I think that I should explain that to you, but I can't. And so we'll continue reading. Verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not thou forth thy hand. And so Satan went from the presence of the Lord. Father, would you give us today what we have need of? Open our hearts and our minds to understand your word. And, and I pray, God, that, that um, you might make clear to us, Lord, how uh, this book should apply to our lives and the lessons that you would teach us. We'll give you glory and honor and praise for all of it. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. As soon as the pages uh, of Job's life uh, open to us and we enter into, we step into his world, we immediately become aware of the fact that this is no average man. Okay, we, we, you, you, you just get that from the very get-go. Job's not the average man. And in fact... The Bible declares him to be the greatest of all the men of the East. He was a leader of men. He was a man of great character. He dealt fairly and, and uh, with others. He kept his word. He was upright and respected, and he was blessed with prosperity. Okay, So Job, Job was blessed with, with the hand of God on his life. Job had things that other people might not have in, 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 in such a manner. He had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. He had 1,000 oxen for plowing his fields and 500 female donkeys. Now, if you would take those numbers and those pictures and transfer that into farm equipment, you would understand exactly what this is talking about. These, this is like having trucks. This is like having tractors. This is like having uh, uh, equipment that works your farm for you. These weren't just animals that sat out in the field that the kids went out and called them by name and they came up, you know, purring and humming and, you know, the kids got to play with them. No, this was, these were, listen, these were the workhorses. This was, 
This was the equipment, the farm equipment that made Job a very, very wealthy man. Not only that, he had 10 adult children. And Job, because of his responsibilities as a father, uh, offered 10 burnt offerings in the name of each child just to make doubly sure that all was well. A man of deep piety and a man of great conviction. That Listen, that just oozes from the page. And it will continue throughout the book of Job. You'll see the depth of his piety. But the, the most amazing thing about Job was not what he owned. It's who owned him. It's not what he had. It was who had him. And when I say that, I'm referring to the fact that Job was held in the highest esteem by God Himself. Now, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine um, the assumption that any man among us could make where we would just simply presume that somehow God holds us in high esteem. I mean, for, for me to think that, that God Almighty was looking down and saying, what a man. I, I, I can't think that and I don't believe that and I couldn't comprehend that and yet here it is given in the Bible that God said of Job, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man and one that feareth God and escheweth evil. I mean, his heart was not just right with God, but it was, it was against the things that God was against. And so he was, a, he, he, was a, he was a man that God held in high esteem. Now ultimately, when all is said and done, the thing that Job is going to be remembered for, it's, it's, not, his, it's, not, it's not his wealth. It's not the fact that he had great devotion. He was a great dad, a wonderful parent. It's not his wisdom that you'll see given throughout the pages of this book, that's not what he's remembered for. People don't quote Job. He's a great parent. People don't quote Job. Boy, he's, he, he blessed. People don't quote Job, quote Job about his wisdom. The reason that Job is remembered was simply because of his suffering endurance after losing everything. That's why we look back on Job. Centuries, centuries later, it was written of him in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. That's a powerful verse. And, and, and we'll maybe refer back to that at the end of everything. Because it not only gives us a picture of Job, but it also gives us a picture of God and how that
uh, you know, maybe we've lost a house or something's happened in those areas. So we relate to that. We can, we can relate to Job. Second thing is we relate to Job because Job boldly questioned and protested his suffering. He didn't charge God foolishly, not one time. But Job was honest enough and bold enough to question. And I think that sometimes we get the idea that's, oh my goodness, how, never question God. Really, where's that in the Bible? It's not, it's not there. In fact, Jesus said, my God, is Jesus our example? Yeah. So what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why? Okay. And so, David in the Psalms, just literally, he, he just emotes with questions and, and, and he doesn't understand. Why is it that we'll be in Psalms our next cycle? Why is it that the wicked prosper and the guys that are doing good and everything's going bad? Why does that happen? And, and so, there, there was, there's an, I think there's an honesty in Job that I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that he is, is, is a great man. No, he, he's, he's, he's more than a good man. Job, the Bible says he's a great man. And yet he has the honesty and the transparency to ask God and to question what in the world. I mean, he admits, you know, God gave, so God can certainly take away. I don't know why. And if you want to read, if you want to read a raw, bleeding chapter, then you read Job 3 when you go home. Because Job bleeds all over the page in chapter 3. The idea of this man of patience, and yet they're, they're well, no, I'm suffering, I've lost everything, but, but blessed be God. No, read chapter 3. In fact, in fact, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but in fact it's chapter 3 that made his friends start speaking. Because they didn't see, they had never seen that side of Job. Okay? They'd never seen that side of Job. This man was their leader. This man was their mentor. This was the greatest man they knew in their life. And they're sitting down with him, and chapter 3 comes along, and he starts vomiting up his emotions, and they're sitting there like, dude, what in the world is wrong with you? We've never seen this side of Brother Job. And, and, and so, I, I, but I appreciate the fact that, that he was bold enough to be honest. Let me just tell you this, slogans won't help you. When everything's taken from you, slogans won't help. We've got quips, we've got little sayings in our circles that somehow are supposed to bring comfort, and to be honest with you, they're stupid. That's with a capital S. Somebody loses a child in infancy, and some great wise sage comes up and says, God plucked them early so that they could bloom in heaven. That is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard anything more stupid. Why would God have to pluck a child to bloom in heaven? That's ignorance. No, no. I don't know, the, I don't know all the reasons why, but let's don't make stuff up. Okay, let's don't let... God just needed another angel in His choir. No, get, get it out. Throw it out. God needed another star shining in the black velvet of glory. No, just throw that stuff out. It helps nobody. Okay, so, so Job was honest. And I like, the, I like the rawness of Job. And by the way, look at me. Listen to me. We have to let people be raw. 
we're hurting people in our churches because we recognize cancer and we recognize broken legs and we recognize open heart surgery and we recognize gallbladders going out and we recognize appendicitis and we recognize all that but we can't recognize depression and discouragement and bleeding broken lives because of loss and so people can't be honest they have to cover that up and, and what's happening is we've got segments in Christianity that aren't being helped, aren't being healed, aren't being dealt with, and we wonder why they're going off the, 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 the script, so to speak. We've got to start recognizing that, that, that sometimes, sometimes there are emotional aches and pains that people are suffering, and it's up to, it's up to the New Testament church to address those to help with those and to give people the room to express their pain and 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 to get some healing. Number three, number three, we, we appreciate we can identify because Job came through it all with his integrity intact. And that's what we want. Okay? We wanna we wanna be able to say, yes, I wanna stay with this, man. I don't wanna listen. I don't look, I I wanna stay with it. I wanna I want to come through my life with my integrity intact. When my grandkids gather around my deathbed and, and, and Chad and Nathan are out picking through my stuff in the garage and arguing about who gets what, my grandkids are there speaking softly to me, I want them to be able to look down in Papa's face and know, yeah, he's, he's, he's staying. He's stuck in he, he was. He was faithful. That's all I want. I just want to be faithful. I don't want to, I don't want to be well known. I don't want to have the biggest church. I, that's not my goal. We'll take what God gives us. I just want to remain faithful to Him because that's what He requires in stewards. Now, let me give you some practical points about Job. Number one, and I think this is essential, especially with the introduction that we read. Number one, bad things can happen to good people. Bad things can happen to good people. Now, listen to me. If you don't pick this up, somewhere down the line in your life, you're going to become disillusioned and you're going to get mad at God. Because if you're a good person and a bad thing happens to you and you only believe that, that bad things happen to bad people, you're going to think God's calling you bad and He's ripping you off and He's not treating you the way you should. And so you're going to become disillusioned with God and you're going to blame God for things that is not God's fault. We live in a sinful, wretched world. Okay, I don't believe God looked down one day and, 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 and just began to choose people that were going to... I, look, there are germs in the world. They're, they're, they're thing, I, I do believe God uses things. You know, but I don't believe that God causes every single thing in our life. God's foreknowledge isn't causing it. We've been through that. Notice, notice verse 13, Job chapter 1, verse 13. What's the first words? And there was a day. And there was a day. You ought to underline that. You ought to highlight it. And there was a day. And I, I wonder if you've ever had a day a day. And there was a day. Well, what day was that? It was the day when everything in Job's life changed and did so suddenly. And there was a day. It was a day that Job got up and thought everything was going to be the same as it was before. And yet, to some degree, on that day, things would so drastically change that Job's life would never be the same as it once was. 
And the new normal was the normal that he was going to have to live with for the rest of his life from that day forward. And by the way, do not overlook the swiftness with which all of this happened. Okay, this wasn't incremental. This was a tornado. This was an absolute tornado that, that, that ripped through his life of unthinkable proportions and, and left his world in absolute shambles about him. It was, it, was, it, was, it was so sudden and so staggering that he did not have time, not just to prepare for the first, but, but, but any of the rest, it all just swept through him. His children are gathered down at Job Jr.'s house and they're having a great time. They're, 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 they're hanging out with family. They're, they're telling stories and reliving memories and it's all going so fun. I, I think that things on the farm were good. I mean, they were enjoying life. They were talking about how God had prospered Dad and prospered them. The oxen are out in the field and, and plowing is going on and the sheep are grazing and the farmhands are at work and life is beautiful and they've got burgers on the grill and they're just having a great family time together. Verse 14. Look at that, would you? And there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell them. And then verse 16, And while he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only uh, uh, am escaped alone to tell me. Tell thee. And then in verse 17, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The, child, the Chaldeans uh, made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And perhaps Job at this moment running through his mind is the fact I've lost it all, but I still have my family. I've, I've lost everything. I've lost, I've lost every sign of wealth. Even, even my employees, they're all gone. My business has been obliterated, but I have my family. Then verse 18, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell me. Alexander White, the great Scottish preacher, said this, Job's sorrows came not in a single spy, but in battalions. It was wave after wave after wave of devastating news that literally left his world in shambles. So what do you say, Joe? You're a great man. You, know, you were blessed. And Satan said to God, yeah, he's, yeah, 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 he praises you because of what you've given him and how you've blessed him. But you take away, you take away what, what you've given him. You take the gift away and he won't care for the giver at all. And so here's Joe. He's lost it all. He's lost his family and 
Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I, I, no wonder Job is an example. Yeah. Who, who would be so presumptuous that, that would say, I could do that? There was a song years ago that was sung. It's a beautiful song, by the way. By a group that was really popular back in those days in Christian circles, it was called. They were called the Lonnie Wolf Trio. I don't know if any of you remember the Lonnie Wolf Trio, but they wrote a song, and the song was "Whatever It Takes for My Will to Break." That's what I'd be willing to do. I've never forgotten. My pastor said in a staff meeting we were discussing stuff. He wasn't making a condemnation of their of their music. He was just simply saying this. I don't know anybody that can honestly sing that song. I don't know any man or woman that could honestly get up and with an open, honest heart say, it doesn't matter, whatever you want to do, I'm, that's what I'd be willing to do. You can take my wife, you can take my children, you can take my health. I'm, I'm not sure any of us have that core of spirituality in us that we would be willing to say that. And I took, I took note of that. My pastor taught me something there because I think we have to be careful in being so presumptuous as to declare ourselves to be on some level that, that, that we're really... I don't know that we know what we would do. I'm not sure. It's like a guy in combat. I, I mean, he signs up to go be a hero and then people start dropping dead around him. And I just got to reading a book called The Last Rebel. It's a powerful book on on that whole era of, of North and South and, and the men on the North that were cowards, the men on the South that were cowards, people that left. and I mean, they had an incredible problem with desertion on both sides of the line. And it's just, you don't really know. When, when the bullets are thudding and they're whistling by you and that, that odd thud of that lead mini ball as it meets flesh and somebody gasps and falls over next to you, you really don't know whether you will stand and fight or cut and run. And so I think spiritually we, 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 have, to, we have to realize that here's, here's a broken man. His life is at its lowest ebb. He's at the end of the trail. And by the way, the only person at this point that's taking delight in anything is who? Satan. Satan's just having a heyday. But when Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, I can't help but think that Satan drooped. Because what he had predicted of Job did not come about. Now number two, I, I, I want to I say this to you. The second lesson that I get from this is, is simply this. And that is that we may, we may have to live, we may have to live with the questions, okay? We may have to live with the questions. Now, this is going to be really short, okay? So I've got a couple of real short points I just want to throw out that are going to be obvious. But, but look, look at me. Job had no answers. Now, now, we get to play Monday morning quarterback, okay? We know what he should have done on the rollout, and the guy was wide open. But he didn't see. So Monday morning quarterback, we get to watch the instant replays and say, dude, he was in the end zone. Why did he yeah. throw the ball, okay? So, so... You know, we can play Monday morning quarterback a little bit because we know about the conversation between Satan and God. 
Job. This happened because God met with Satan. And again, I'm just being real honest with you. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. Where do they meet? I don't know. Why do they meet? I don't know. How do they meet? I don't know. All I can tell you is that they met. Okay. And and so I don't know. I just, I just don't know. And and God will explain that one day. Let me tell you something I've learned. I don't always practice it maybe, but I've learned to the best of my ability to be silent where God is silent in, in the degree. It doesn't mean you can't study, and, and I know you can study and put pieces together and find that, but in the long run, I'm just not really sure, okay? I'm not sure. Last week when we went on Esther, I told you what I thought and where I, where, what I had gathered from that. I stand right where I was last week, but I wasn't there. So I don't know everything there is to know about all of it, okay? We, we try our best to grasp and understand things, I don't know. I don't know where this meeting took place. I don't know how it took place. And people that say they do, they're reading another Bible. And, and and so here's what you and I have. We have answers today. You know what Job had? Questions. Do you know what? If you're living with questions, do you know why you're living with questions? Because God didn't see fit to give you answers. So, so if God wants us to live with questions, He's testing our faith in Him. I, I can't tell you why that there are two little graves in this valley that I go to and pray for my grandkids on those spots. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know why Chad and Georgia went through what they I have no idea. That's a question mark. Nobody has the answers. If you can't live with the questions, you won't go far. If you can't live with the questions, you won't go far in the Christian life because we're going to be presented with things that aren't going to make sense and we're not, we don't understand. And, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, I think maybe this is what happened, why it happened, but I don't really know. It's just okay to be honest. And, and so we may have to live with the questions. Number three, I want to say this to you. This is going to be short also, and that is simply this. And I think it's taught clearly in this book, and that is that nothing can get to us that God doesn't allow. Now, sometimes we're impacted by the choices of other people. Okay, We all know that. Sometimes it's somebody else's choice, and boom, we have to deal with a, with a problematic storm that's been created by somebody else's choice. That's, that's fine. Sometimes, you know what I've had to do? I've had to deal with the storm that, that I created in my life. It's my storm. I made it. Now I have to deal with it. Okay? We all know that. But can I promise you this? Nothing can get to you that God does not allow. He has a hedge about you. Job wasn't, Job wasn't, God didn't treat Job in some special manner. No, he's got a hedge about you just like he had about Job and whatever happens, whatever happens, we have to trust His sovereign will. Why it happens, we don't know. But we have to believe that God allows things in our life and that nothing can come into my life that does not pass first by His eyes. Okay. That doesn't mean God caused it. Okay. God didn't cause this in Job's life. But God allowed it because God is sovereign. And everything that comes to me has to first pass through Him. Number four, let me say this. All right, you ready for this? Number four. 
With, with friends like enemies, who needs friends? Okay? With friends like enemies, who needs friends? Now, these, these guys gathered up, and guess who they are? They're Job's friends. Why? How could you call them friends? Because God did. Okay? Yeah. Bible did. So God recognized them as friends. First of all, they identified with, with God identified them as Job's friends in, 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 uh, in, in the book. Uh, no, verse 11, number uh, 2, they came to him in his time of trouble. Number 3, they identified him within his sorrow. They mourned with him. Number 4, they came to comfort him. Number 5, they were broken by his condition. Number 6, they, saved, uh, they stayed with him for the long haul. Number uh, 8, they were sensitive to what he needed and number nine, they listened to his complaints. Okay, that's in chapter three. Was he poured out? He, he just regurgitated all of his emotional strife, and they they sat and listened to all of it. Okay. Let me let me tell you what friends do. Friends care enough to come without being asked. You know what you do for a wedding? You send out what? Nobody sends out invitations for a funeral. You know why? Because, because you don't have to be invited when somebody's hurting. So, so friends come without being asked. Number two, friends respond with sympathy and comfort. There was such a closeness. There was such a closeness with these men. Uh, it made them go to their friend and sit with him in his crucible. So Job, Job's hurting, and, and, but they had such a bond that they immediately went to him. Number three, friends openly express their feelings. Okay. You know what they did? They wept with him. They threw dirt over their head. Look at it. Read it. No. Well, these were friends. And one of the cultural signs back in those days, one of the cultural signs back in those days was that you would heap dirt on So here's his friends. They sit down. They start weeping with him because they're genuinely hurt by him. Uh, by what's happened to him, and, 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 and they throw dirt on their head. Let me put it this way. Friends get messy with you. There's a brand of Christianity that says, I don't want to go in the pit with you. I, I, want to, I don't want to wade down into the junk. I don't want dirt on my head. I don't want to get messy with you. I want to... I want to stay in the front yard <laughs> like a good elder brother. Okay. And so, many times I think we, we're afraid to be labeled as a friend because a friend loveth at all times. A friend loveth at all times. And so even when he's covered in dirt, sitting in the worst place in the entire area. His friends wouldn't sit with him. Number four, friends don't walk away because the bottom has dropped out. They stayed with him seven days and nights in utter silence. That's a long time. They stayed with him an entire week. Listen to me without saying a word. Listening to his sobbing, probably praying for him, dirt on their head, surrounded by maggots in the city dump. 
Number five, friends don't have to speak to communicate. Can I help you with this? And we talked about this just a moment ago. Let me help you with this. Don't feel the need to explain the inexplainable. Okay? I mean, you can't explain the inexplainable. So when something happens in somebody's life that is beyond explanation, don't fake, don't, don't fake it till you make it. Don't make up an explanation. God plucked the child so that it could bloom in heaven. No, you, you don't have to do that. It's okay. You don't have to have the statement to make to pull somebody through for somebody to quote your name later and say, I was in the bottom, but so-and-so told You don't have to be so-and-so. Just, just explanations never heal a broken heart. Listen to me. If you had the answer, it still wouldn't heal you. Listen, explanations have never healed a broken heart. Facts don't help. Explanations can't stop the bleeding whatsoever. And there's no need for us to speak for God, is there? What happened to these men was, after seven days, and Job vomits in chapter 3, his emotion, and then all of a sudden, guess what they did? They decided, okay, that's it. We're going to cross the line. And they, they crossed the line. And you know what happened to them? They became judges instead of friends. What, what, what your loved one needs in their life, whatever it is they're going through, they need a friend, not a judge. Let God be the judge and you just be the friend. That's all you need. Now listen carefully. When you reduce suffering to just answers, what happens is you have intellect. With, with no intimacy and no emotion. It's, it's sad, but, but when you take suffering and you bring it down to answers, and, and there are people that suffer all the time because all they're looking for is an answer why, and that answer doesn't exist. And if it did exist, then all you've got is intellect. And there's no intimacy and there's no personal relationship and it just... Doesn't and by the way, if you read this book, just read it, okay? Just, just, just wade through it. And you, you know, build that. And these guys, you know, the problem is. Here's the problem. The problem is that that many of their answers were technically true. Many of the things they said, and even, yeah. even. Even uh, Job's last reply to Bildad, he said, to, he said to Bildad, "You're exactly right." Everything you've said, I, I agree with 100%. It just doesn't apply to me. So, so many of their answers were technically true, but it's the technical part that kills. It's the technical part that's cold as, as a label stuck on a bottle. It's, it's just a prescription. It, there's nothing on the inside. It, it, helps, it helps nobody. You ever seen a roadkill? This is a great subject to bring up. When you find a roadkill, a lot of times, at least particularly in the South, um, vultures are everywhere. They're, they're all over it. Unless it's a whistle pig and then it's family that have gathered. <laughs> you know what suffering does? Suffering attracts fixers. Like a roadkill attracts vultures. 
Everybody's there to fix. And, it, and a lot of times, a lot of times their, their desire to fix is born out of love and just so much, but when somebody's really suffering, there's only so much they can take. And sometimes a fixer leads people feeling worse rather than better. And so I think we need, we need to pray that God will give us discernment. Here's the deal. Listen to me. We, and I'm talking about us now, being the people outside of the suffering, we need to be humble enough to admit we can't fix it. Sometimes as a pastor, that's hard for me because I, people call me and they expect me to fix things and some things I can't fix. And I pray that God will help me to be humble enough not to, not to fake it, but to just say, you know what, I don't know. I'll pray with you. Sometimes people call me and ask advice and I'll say, could you give me a day or two? Because I don't really have the answer right now. I don't know what the answer is. Could you allow me to be honest enough with you to just say, could you let me pray about this and see if God gives me some discernment? So don't be afraid to do that. That's not just for pastors. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns. And he tells us in that book about a little girl who had lost a playmate in death. And the family was crushed. And one day she came home and reported to her family that she had gone to comfort the sorrowing mother of her deceased friend. And her dad said to her, what did you say to the mother? And she replied, nothing. I just climbed up in her lap and cried with her. And sometimes that's, that's, what, that's what people really need from us. They just need us to identify with them in their sorrow. Let me say this to you. Fifth of all, and then we, we've got to get this. You have to get this. You've got to get this. There's always collateral damage to suffering. See, it's, it's not just you or them. There's always collateral damage. It's never just one person that suffers. There's always others that are, that are caught by the shrapnel. There are always others that, that wind up in the ripple effects. There's always collateral damage with suffering. Here's, here's, a, guy, here's a guy who had been the personification of happiness, and now all of a sudden... He's the personification of misery. Now, lest somehow his misery be contagious, Job goes outside of the city to the dump. One writer said that Job was ground zero in human form. Warren Wiersbe, I think this is powerful, Warren Wiersbe said this, There the city garbage was deposited and burned. And there the city's rejects lived, begging alms from whoever passed by. At the ash heap, dogs fought over something to eat, and the city's dung was brought to be burned. The city's leading citizen was now living in abject poverty and shame. All that was left were his wife and those three friends. And yet, when we see Job in the ash heap, Scraping his boils. 
you know, the one person we have not heard from yet is his, is his wife. And then all of a sudden she steps onto the stage and you know we find out? Wow, this didn't just hurt Job alone. I mean, you read the first, you read the first little bit of it and you think, boy, Job got nailed. No, 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 Job didn't get nailed. Job and his wife got nailed. And really Job and his friends got nailed. They were drawn into this. And, and the collateral damage, to be honest with you, Here's the leading citizen of the city in the garbage heap. It wasn't just them. It, the whole city was impacted by this. See. And so she steps on the stage, and you know what we find out? We find out that she's at the end of her rope. And I think, you know what nauseates me is pastors that get up and, and just really berate Miss Joe. There's a Greek word for that. It's called idiocy. And, and, I mean, how, are you kidding me? How in the world can you be so blindedly naive to think that this affected Job where chapter 3 just literally comes out of him and Miss Job is standing there reading her Bible saying, well, that was a crazy day. No. Everything he lost, she lost. And to a certain degree, she lost more. Because in that culture... Everything she had hinged, hinged upon uh, Job. And so, verse 9 of chapter 2, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She questions the very thing that God had complimented in Job, his integrity. And then she suggested, why don't you just give up? Why don't you stop the charade? I mean, why, are you, why are you sitting here? Talking about God gives and God takes away. Why don't you curse God so that God will kill you? Yeah. Well, that's pretty strong words. From, from, the, from the wife of the godliest man, the greatest man in all the East. Now all of a sudden, guess who's vomiting? It's, it's Miss Job. Okay. And by the way, when tragedy hits, do you know what? Certain people respond differently. I mean, anger, denial, grief, blame, depression. Why am I alive? Have you, ever, have you ever studied the death wishes in the Bible? And the men that had them? Wish I was just dead. Wish, wish I had never been. I cursed the day that I was born. Job did that. Elisha. Elijah sat under a, a juniper tree and wished he was dead. <laughs> it's real. It's, it's real. And, and I just think we need to be careful. I, let, let me just say this about Miss Job. She too had lost ten children in one day. And this is no doubt an emotional eruption in her life when the pain and grief was so overwhelming. She couldn't take it. Can I, can I say this to you? Don't be, be careful with people you respect in holding them to higher standards than God does. There are pastors today that are out of the ministry, and they're out of the ministry because they tried to live up to expectations that people had of them when in the reality of the matter was they put their bridges on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Sometimes, sometimes men that lead need to go to the back of the pack and sit under a juniper tree and get healed 
before before they can continue on. Number two, she too had suffered the loss of wealth and possession. It, it was the equivalent of going bankrupt. Okay, and by the way, I mean she she lived high on the hog. If you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, I mean she 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 had it all. Now all of a sudden she's bankrupt. She. She, not only that, but she lost her standing in the community. She was, you know what she was? She wasn't the wife of a mover and shaker. Now she is the wife of a pathetic and broken man sitting in the dun dump, scraping his sores and moaning. That's who her husband now was. And, and so, and by the way, in this day and age, many people saw this type of judgment as, as being... Uh, recompense for wickedness. So many people immediately. Listen, I mean, read, 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 Job. Read what happened. What did they say to Job? Look, God, God doesn't do this to good people, Job. The reason this happened to you is because you slipped up somewhere down the line, and so you're getting exactly what you deserve. And in in in, in chapters six, somewhere in there, in Bildad's last, his last um, attack on Job, Bildad says, "You're a hypocrite." I mean, it's exactly what he said. You're, you're a hypocrite. And so, she's being judged as far as a lot of people are concerned. And she's lost her provider. She's lost her security. She certainly has no way of rebuilding their life. And he has no strength to do it. So she's, she is a broken, broken woman. Now look at me. You don't have to justify her reasoning, but it would be good maybe if we tried to understand it. Sometimes that's hard for us, and I've made that same, I made that same slip, where where you, you look at what somebody did, and and you judge what they did, without well maybe it would be good to step back, and maybe try to put some pieces together and figure out well why did they do that. There's something behind the scenes that you nor I may know. Somebody may be acting in such a ridiculous manner that we look at them and say, you know, why, why would you do that? Well, maybe there is a why. Maybe they just had a catastrophe in their life that you know nothing about. Nothing about. I remember one time at a pharmacy that a young girl was slow doing things and somebody in line was unkind to her. And the girl got visibly upset. And I went and bought a couple of gift cards and brought back to the counter. The young girl had left and had gone home. And I asked for her and they said she's not here. She went home today. She was upset. And I, I said, would you give her these cards and, and offer her my apology because of what happened. I was present when that happened earlier today and I felt sorry for her and, and I know she works for the public and I know it's hard. She, the, the lady behind the counter said this to me. She said, yeah, her dad just died. She was slow and maybe she was abrasive, but nobody knew that. So the reason she was acting the way she did to the public was because she was carrying a burden that no one else knew. You remember It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Gower? You know, young George comes in, Mr. Gower boxes his ears. 
Remember that horrible scene? Why did that happen? Because Mr. Garrow was upset because his, his, his son had died because of the disease. Okay? And that's, that comes down to real life. Now, let's close. Go with me, if you will. Go with me, if you will, to chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Ready? Ready? Job chapter 42, verse 16. Give me the first two words. Wow, that was sad. Here it is. Ready? After this, circle those words. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. So my last point is this. Thank God for the after this. And after this, what is, what is the this? The this is that, that Job lost all his children. The this is that Job lost all his wealth. The this is that Job lost his own health. The this is that Job had to sit and listen to the incredible cynicism and criticism of guys that he had called his friends. That's the this. But thank God that there was an after this. A time when it all passes. Can I, can I say this to you? You will live again. Can I say this? The people that may be watching on live stream, that right now clouds, clouds are hovering over their life. Can I tell you that the sun shines on the other side of those clouds? That the sun will shine again in your life? You will live again. Number two, you will be blessed again. Though all blessings seem to be removed, I want to tell you, listen, listen to me, listen. If you quit, listen, if you quit before the after this, you miss out on everything God's got for you. If you quit before the after this arrives, then all you're going to have is the emptiness of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then I'll say this to you. If you read chapter 42, you'll learn more about God after this than you ever knew before this. You'll know, you'll know more about Him. You'll find out that the Lord is all you have at times. And you'll find out, listen, that He is all you need. Sometimes there's nothing left. Sometimes he's all you have. And when all is said and done, after this, you know, yeah, he's all I needed. That's who our God is. Thank his name for the after this. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Job. Thank you for the bleeding rawness of this book. Thank you for every question. Thank you for Job's honesty. Thank you for even what we learn from his friends. 
three of them, and then the fourth. Thank you that we learn lessons from their obnoxious assumptions. Thank you, God, that there is an after this in every storm, in every tragedy, in every heartbreak of life. We, we thank you that not only are you all we have in those moments, but that you are all we need. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen.